Father, what a privilege it is to gather together and to uh, sing your praises, to worship you, to remember what your Son has done. And Father, what a privilege we have to be in your word, and I pray that you would use it greatly, that you would use it as you desire to bring about Christ's likeness in us so that you would be greatly pleased. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as each and every one of you know, and we all know, life can become difficult at times, and it doesn't take much to uh, knock us off kilter. You know, we have the everyday pressures of life that are upon us. Uh, we have the realities of this, this sinful world bearing down on us. And we as believers uh, recognize that we are in the good fight of faith. It's a battle every single day to trust Jesus. And the reality is, as we will see today, that endurance is what we need. We need endurance. We need to endure to the end. And what we're going to see today is that through faith in Christ, that is the means in which we endure through every difficulty, every trial, everything that could ever come upon us, everything that God would allow to come upon us. So today, as we continue our break between books, we finished Second Thessalonians, and we're I'm very, very highly likely, but it's up to the Lord that we're going to go into um, Ecclesiastes after this. So just continue to pray, preparing for that. But the Lord can do anything, so I'm willing to do whatever he wants. But wanted to take a little break here and take a look at the book of Hebrews. And so would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, where we're going to see what true, genuine biblical faith looks like and thus... Uh, what endurance uh, related to that would look like. Now, in this uh, book, we know that the author, uh, inspired by the Spirit, the unknown author, but yet inspired by the Spirit, is writing sometime between the Ascension, 33 A.D., and before the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Now, we know he was writing exclusively to Hebrew believers who were suffering for their faith, and they had become immature, they were untaught, they had become dull of hearing, their eyes had left Jesus, and they were focused on their difficulties, and they were in need of encouragement. They were in need of encouragement. They were tired and weary, on the verge even of compromise, in order to relieve the persecution. They were, as we see and will see, they were in need, as in chapter 10, verse 36, they were in need of endurance. Now, to exhort these believers to hold fast their confession of faith and not, and not, uh, and to exhort those who had a said faith within that group not to apostatize back to Judaism, we have, uh, this book in which, uh, we have an encouragement for believers, but also a warning for make-believers, those who would have a said faith that are in the midst of believers, claiming to be so, but yet we're ready to go back to Judaism in this context. We had many warnings in this book, and this book uh, really is bookended with the two phrases, listen to him, listen to Christ. That's what we should be doing, listen to him. Now, to exhort them to hold fast their confession, the author now is going to show and prove that Jesus Christ and his new covenant is superior to the old covenant, which was a type and shadow of what was to come. And in this book already, the author has proven that Jesus is a superior high priest who mediates a superior covenant. Um, and within that, uh, he has brought forth a one-time all-time sacrifice for sins, which brought about eternal redemption once for all, the forgiveness of sins and access to God. Therefore, we need to listen to him. We need to listen to him. You see, there's no other way to a relationship with the living God other than through the person of Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And being fully God, Jesus took on human flesh and bore our sins in his body on the cross. And so what should be our response to so great a salvation? We should be continually drawing near in faith, hoping continually in Christ, and loving him by loving and serving the body of Christ. And that's where we come to chapter 11 of this uh, book, in which we have the testimony 
of those who endured by faith. We have so great a cloud of testifiers in chapter 11 who by faith endured. And so the Lord wants to testify of them to us so that we would endure also by faith in Jesus Christ. So would you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and we're looking at verses 1 to 6. Now, uh, before we get to our passage to read it, I actually want to read up into the passage. So let's go back to chapter 10. Let's rewind a little bit back to verse 30. You see, because this is one of the warnings that is in the scriptures here concerning those who would have a said faith, those who would uh, say they believe in Jesus, but yet forsake fellowship, those who would say they're forgiven of their sins, but would continue in sin. Well, the only thing that is left for them is a terrifying expectation of judgment. Verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing to fall into his hands for judgment for your sin. And so he is giving them a warning concerning those who have been hanging out with believers, but yet are not truly saved yet. But at the next portion here, he wants to encourage then true believers to endure. Notice what he says in verse 33. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partially being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partially by becoming sharers uh, with those who were so treated. He's saying, hey, remember when you were enlightened, when, when God opened your eyes and you believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Remember what happened. You suffered, but you endured. And he goes on there, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, in light of what you knew when you first came to faith and how you trusted in Christ and you endured, therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. You see, we come to faith and we trust him and we're excited about Christ and, and we suffer through things and we do fine. But then time goes on and the suffering continues or whatever it might be, and it becomes difficult and we are in need of endurance. He says here, for you are in need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a very, very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And he, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Saying, hey, if he's one of those apostatizers, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, my, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. You are not of that group that is being warned about throughout this. You are those who are going to persevere because of faith. And then he goes to now to explain what genuine faith looks like. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Here's our passage. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Tremendous definition. For by it men of old gained approval, or, or literally were testified of. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts through faith. Though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the testimony or the witness that before being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So then, we have a very clear definition of biblical faith, and we have a subsequent explanation and illustration, and that's what we're going to see today. But why would these uh, believers need an explanation of faith? Why would they need this? Why would we need an explanation of faith? We obviously have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're trusting him. Why would we need this explanation? Well, the reality is we need to be encouraged 
concerning biblical faith because we can stray in our hearts and minds at times as believers. And there are bad guys out there propagating false views of faith. You just watch uh, TV and the, 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 those, uh, those preachers on TV that uh, talk about faith. They, they see faith as a way, as a means to an end to get stuff from God or to get healing or whatever it might be. That's not biblical faith. And so we need to be careful because there are those out there who would share uh, wicked uh, perversions of the truth uh, so that believers would be drawn astray. But here we have the simple definition of what faith is, that we would be reminded and thus continue in faith, be encouraged by the examples, and then endure in Jesus Christ. And so we begin with this uh, beginning of the definition here. And we're going to see that biblical faith has to do with our full assurance of our hope in Christ and what he has promised. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance. Well, now this term assurance means being sure or substance. It comes from the Greek word hypostasis, which stasis means to stand, or hypo means under. It means to stand under. It spoke of a foundation or, or, or something solid, the substance of something. We see it in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, translated nature. It's also translated in chapter 3, verse 14, assurance or confidence. So what does it mean here? It means, it simply seems to convey that faith consists of being fully assured, fully founded concerning what is hoped for. Fully assured, fully founded concerning what is hoped for. Now, what is hope? Well, in a general sense, hope speaks of an expectation, something that you hope for. But before you think, come to think that faith is simply just confidence in something we're expecting, the reality is the hope that we see here in the context of the book of Hebrews is very specific. It's very specific. And to take hope from this verse and just say it in a general sense and take it out of its context would be a, a, a travesty of the text. The reality is throughout the book of Hebrews, he's been making the point about who our hope is truly in, and it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, hope is not in something that we can't see, uh, or in, that we can see. It is in that which we can't see. Let me clarify that. Romans 8.23 and not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Hey, we as believers wait eagerly for what we've been promised, the redemption of our bodies and our adoption as sons. I can't see that, but I hope for it. Notice what he says. For in hope we have been saved, Paul shares with the Romans, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly await it. The reality is we recognize that faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. And all throughout, as I mentioned, the book of Hebrews, this hope is intricately linked to the person of Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't separate it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, we find the boast of our hope is Jesus Christ. The boast of our hope, our, our apostle and high priest. Chapter 6, verse 1, the assurance of our salvation in Christ and hope are tied together. They're tied together. Chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, we see that hope is fixed and anchored upon the completed work of Jesus Christ. Our hope is anchored on what Christ has done for us. Chapter 7, verse 9, the bringing of a better hope is spoken of in the context of the new covenant being inaugurated through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. The believer's hope is fully founded in the person of Christ and his work that he has done on our behalf. The finished work which assures our eternal future, our future glory with no sin and with him forever. So then, not only in the book of Hebrews do we see this, but all throughout many other scriptures, that our hope is connected to the living God. In Psalm 43, verses 5 and 11, we hope in God. That's where our hope is in. Our hope is in God. In Acts chapter 24, verse 15, Paul made it clear that he was on trial, that he was one who hoped in 
God. 1 Timothy 5.5, 5, one of the qualifications for widows who don't have family support uh, to be aided by the church, to be widows indeed, was that they have fixed their hope in God. Their, their hope, their expectation is in God. Is in God. That's what their expectation is. First Peter chapter three, verse five, speaking of the holy women of old who did what? They hoped in God. You see, if you are a godly woman or a godly man, your hope is going to be in God. Not in just simply the resolution of situations, but hope in the person of the living God. We see in 1 Timothy 4.10 that we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers, 1 Timothy 4.10. You see, God is our hope, and Christ Jesus is God in human flesh. We are to be and are looking for the blessed hope, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, and appearing of the great glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Jesus Christ is our hope. The Thessalonians, which we've gone through, who truly believed, had a steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing at times. I talk to people who are going through difficulties, and it's as if there is zero hope in Jesus. It's only hope that their circumstances will be resolved, and of course, they're not being resolved, so they're totally broken apart, rather than having a hope in Jesus Christ. A hope in him, and that hope, as we will see, will never fail. Will never fail. Christ Jesus is our hope, First Timothy 1.1. The Apostle Paul shares to the Romans in Romans 15, it is Christ who is our hope. Now, this hope is not just simply for Christ for this life. Some people have taken that. Yeah, Jesus is my hope, but he's my hope for everything now. Well, if Jesus is for this life only, we are of all men to be pitied. The reality is we hope in Christ and what he has done and what he has promised for us for all eternity. We hope in God. We hope in Christ Jesus. We hope for what he has promised. We have an eternal hope, the consummation of our salvation You see, because of what Jesus has done, his death on the cross, his resurrection, we are assured of eternal life. We are assured of our future resurrection from the dead and glorification. We are assured of that. Is this not what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wonderful reality. Wonderful reality. We know from the book of Romans that in Christ the Gentiles shall hope. That former, that former promise of what would happen for us who now hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace of to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Fix your hope on what Jesus is going to do when he comes, what he has promised for you. We have in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, has not appeared yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, but we shall see him just as he is, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. The reality is, apart from Christ and what he has done, there is no true hope. We know the Gentiles, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, apart from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. Apart from Christ, we have no hope at all. So back in our passage, faith is the assurance, the, the confidence, this absolute certainty of things hoped for. There is a certainty that what Christ has said he will do, he will do. There's a certainty in the person and nature of Jesus Christ, our hope. There is an absolute confidence. That's what faith is. If you don't have that, it's not genuine faith. It's not genuine faith. There is a certainty, an assurance 
of these things that are hoped for. We hope in Christ, and we hope in what is promised. And again, there are so many false teachers out there laying a false hope based on your desires, not based on Christ. And those hopes are always dashed because that's not a genuine hope. It is a false hope. We hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Is your hope fixed in Christ? Is your hope fixed on him? It needs to be. You see, we can be pulled away in our difficulties. Our eyes can be pulled off of Christ. Later on, there's going to be the exhortation to consider Jesus, to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So then, biblical faith is being fully assured of the things hoped for. Fully assured. There's an absolute certainty, foundational certainty that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he what he says he will do and he has done what the word says he has done. So then, are you having problems trusting God? Is your faith waning? Get into the word and look at the object of your faith and our faith, Jesus Christ. Look at the truth of God concerning what he has promised and be fully assured. And that is true faith that that is what's going on in your heart. Well, notice back in our passage, not only do we have faith being the assurance of things hoped for, we have another statement here, the conviction, verse 1, of things not seen. So it's being fully assured of the things hoped for and also the conviction of things not seen. The term conviction literally means to bring to light. It means to expose. It's translated reproof in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's translated convict concerning the Holy Spirit in John 16.8. And here in this context, it speaks of bringing to light, in a sense, an inner conviction, the validity, the proof of something, the certainty of something. There's an absolute certainty, a conviction. So we understand that when we have a conviction about something in a general sense. We're convicted. We're certain about it, right? We understand that idea. But here, faith is the conviction or certainty of the things we do not see. There is an absolute certainty that the unseen realities as revealed in the word of God are absolutely true. It's the certainty that we have every blessing in the heavenlies. It's the certainty that we have a mediator, uh, Christ Jesus, who, who intercedes for us. It's the certainty that he is at the right hand of the Father and that he will come back. And it's the certainty concerning the truths of our Savior and the realities that he has shared that we cannot see. That is the certainty of that. It is the certainty of things unseen being fully sure that they exist. Faith is absolutely fully sure that they exist. Now, pagan influences have entered the church where false teachers say, just believe it and it will happen. Well, that's the certainty of of things that aren't even real. That's not faith at all. Faith is the absolute certainty of the things that are unseen. Unseen realities, as we will see, as revealed in Scripture being fully sure that they exist. You see, believers, you see examples of believers who don't had, didn't have this definition, who, who had faith, which was exactly what is being shared here. Take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember when they stood before the enraged Nebuchadnezzar facing the fiery furnace because they would not worship the golden image? Remember their response to Nebuchadnezzar? Do you remember that? Turn to Daniel chapter 2 because they were fully assured of the things they could not see. They were fully assured. There was no doubt in their minds about those things. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel 3, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to give you an answer concerning the matter. You know, they're still respectful, by the way, and they're about to die, at least possibly. They're still respectful to the authority, the wicked authority that's in their midst, by the way. It says, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Hey, he's able to deliver us out of the furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. That's just absolutely certain. 
He says, O king, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That image that you have set up. They were fully assured that God could, if he desired, deliver them from the fiery furnace. They were fully assured of the unseen reality of the living God in whom they served. Yet they were not presumptive upon the living God in terms of their deliverance. Well, listen to the mindset of a true believer in 2 Corinthians 4. Turn there, 2 Corinthians 4. This is the mindset of true believers. And if we're not thinking this way, we're thinking like uh, pagans. We're thinking like those who don't know Christ. We've got to renew our minds so we think this way because this is the mindset of faith. It is the mindset of faith. Not the mindset of those who, uh, who, who do not know Christ, but those who do. 2 Corinthians 4, verse uh, 13 But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, Paul writes, we also believe, therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and present us, will present us with you. He's saying, hey, we totally know in the context that if we die serving Christ, we're going to be raised up. Absolute assurance, right? Absolute assurance. And notice what he says. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is being which is spreading more and more to people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Isn't that great? They want God's grace to spread so that God would be thanked. That God giving of thanks would spread and be unabound. And he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Paul's in the context, we are almost dying. We almost died earlier. We're almost dying here. We're almost dying for you. But he says, Therefore, we don't lose heart. We're suffering physically. And he's going to say our outer man's decaying. Now, we just think of that in general because we're getting old and we're decaying. But the reality is they, his outer man was decaying because of the persecution and suffering he was going through. Notice what he says. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, verse 16. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, he's going to speak from the eyes of faith here. Listen to the language here. Listen to what he says. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That is the mindset of a true believer who is walking with the Lord. We're going to see Enoch who walked with the Lord 300 years. It's the mindset of a true believer. Believing and focusing on being fully assured of the things that you cannot see. The unseen realities that God has revealed in his word. This is the mindset of a true believer. And we can have our eyes pulled off of Jesus. That's why we need to be reminded of this. That's why we need to hear this just like they did. We need to hear it also. So then, are you fully assured of what God has promised in Christ? Are you fully convinced of the unseen realities revealed in the word of God? That is genuine faith. That is genuine faith. Biblical faith is the assurance of things hoped for, those things concerning Christ and what he's promised. It is the certainty of those things unseen, of the things unseen that God has revealed in his word. And beyond that, there's no room for anything else being called faith, is there? This is what he says faith is. This is what it is. This is the definition don't be taken captive by your emotions or by the emotional or by false teachers. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things unseen. That is biblical faith. So let me ask you this. Are you fully assured of what God has promised in Christ? Are you convinced completely, convicted, convinced of the unseen realities concerning Christ and the word? That is true faith. So how can we endure such difficulties for following Jesus? How can we endure it? Well, as these Hebrews needed to, we also need to understand what true biblical faith is. But besides that, we also need to understand that biblical faith is not simply what we just read based on any type of information. It is based on the word of God. It is based on the word of God. Look here at our passage again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Verse 4, or verse 2, excuse me, verse 2, but then the word for, which explains. If I start out and I say for, I went to the store. You go, well, what do you mean? I'm going to explain something. I'm explaining. There has to be something behind it. So here we have the definition of faith, and then we have an explanation here, an explanation. For, by it, that's faith, by the way, 
the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of was not made out of things which are visible. So here, by way of explanation and illustration, he expands on this definition of faith. He says, for by it, that's faith, men of old, that's the old saints of the old days, as we'll see, gained approval. Gained approval. So what does he mean by this idea of gained approval? The term comes from the word, which means basically to have bore witness of or someone bearing witness of them. The tenses here speak of gaining approval or being testified of. So let's say someone testifies of someone. Hey, that guy is a good guy. He did this. There is something. He gained approval by that testimony. Do you see what I'm saying? And so here we have the men of old gained approval or were testified of or bore witness of. Now, this whole chapter is all about that. This whole chapter is about that. Chapter 12 says, since we have so great a cloud of those who had gained approval, testifiers, same word. It's all about that. It is a testimony within these portions. That's what chapter 11 is. The testimony of those who by faith endured. Now, what's interesting is we have this this portion by men of old, they gained approval. Then we have so great a cloud of witnesses, testifiers. And in between, we have those testimonies. But there are only two that have this word gained approval in them also. And we'll see them today. It is uh, Abel and Enoch. And then it goes into examples. And I believe that's going to help us see that Abel and Enoch are examples of how we come to faith in Jesus Christ and how we walk by faith. And they were both testified of. So here, by faith, men were testified of. They had gained approval. New King James says they had obtained a good testimony. By faith, they obtained a good testimony. And so then we have these men of old who gave a good testimony. And God bears witness. The testimony is here in chapter 11. He bears witness of them. So-and-so did this by faith, this by faith, this by faith. It is God's testimony of approval by their actions of faith, as we will see, and thus their endurance, these men of old. And so then we have these Old Covenant, Old Testament saints who by faith believed what God said and endured, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of great hardship. Later on, you'll see sawn in two, things like that. Great, None of us have been sawn in two yet. Great hardship, very much difficulty, and they endured. So God testifies of them. And from this, we gain an understanding of what genuine faith is. But notice, first of all, he's going to make sure that we understand that true genuine faith is based on the word of God. He says, for, for by it, men of old gained approval. Now he's going to continue explaining. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things which were visible. This is key. This helps us understand what real, genuine faith is, okay? We've already had the definition, but here, this is an explanation. He says, we continually, habitually comprehend or recognize. That means we understand. We understand uh, what? That the worlds were prepared by the word of God. By faith, we understand that. That the worlds, or the ages, the universe that God prepared it by his word. We understand the reality of this. They were prepared, katartizo, fully equipped. The, the universe was, it was made, equipped, it was brought forth. Done deal, and it's with us today. We understand that, that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He literally spoke into existence the heavens and the earth. He created it by his word. And we find that in the truth of scripture. God said, let there be, and there was. Let there be, and there was. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. And then look at the second half. We have a further explanation. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. He says, we know by faith that God spoke it into existence out of nothing. Out of nothing. You see, in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. The word create, bara, there, speaks of out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Out of nothing he created the heavens and the earth. And the point is, by faith, we understand continually habitually that God spoke into existence the world out of nothing. He's giving an example because the only place we gain the knowledge of these specific facts about creation are in the word of God. In Genesis alone, do we see that God spoke it into existence? In God's word, do we see he spoke it into existence out of nothing? You can't find that anywhere else. You see, I don't need faith to know that God created the heavens and the earth. You go, wait a second. I don't need faith to know that because the, the scriptures are clear. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Day to day, they pour forth speech. Uh, Romans chapter 1, we see that those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness about a divine creator who has created everything, right? I can see that here without faith, but I need faith to know how God did it. He spoke it into existence and he created it out of nothing. And he says that in his word. By faith, we believe the word of God concerning the creation of God. Concerning the creation of God. God spoke it into existence. We see that. And so true biblical faith is based on what God has said. You cannot have the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, unless it comes from the word of God. That's what genuine faith is. You see, someone may say, I have faith that will rain tomorrow. Well, that's not biblical faith. Why well, have faith that Susie will be healed? That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is based on what God has said, which we have in his word alone, the scriptures. Biblical faith is based on what he has said specifically in the word alone. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Conviction of things hoped for. You see, if you desire true faith, true biblical faith, then you need to get in the word of God because faith comes forth through the word of God. Turn to Romans chapter 10. We had this read for us earlier. Faith comes, you say, I I don't have enough faith. Help me my faith. Yes, pray that wonderful prayer, but get into the word of God. So many times people pray for something that's absolutely right, but they don't do what God has revealed is how that comes about. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith with preaching. He's talking about a quote from the book of Deuteronomy. Hey, it's not too far. Faith in Jesus is not having to obey this stuff. It's to obey the command to turn and repent. It says that's what we're preaching here, that if you confess with your mouth and Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Romans 10, now verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Amen. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless he is sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they, speaking of the Jews, did not all heed good glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it is the conviction of things unseen, and it is those things that we hope for and those things that we don't see are revealed in the word of God. For by faith, we know that God created this whole entire universe by his word out of nothing. And there's no other way to know that apart from the word of God, which declares that absolutely with certainty. So then we see faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, and it is in the context of God's word that we have faith. If you are waning in your faith, get in the word of God, confess sin, get in the word of God and allow him to refresh your heart, to to renew your faith, to help you uh, trust him more and more and more. Get in the word of God. Now, at this point, our author goes to share an an illustration that it is by faith that we completely relate to God. 
We relate to God in our salvation by faith, and we walk by faith day in and day out. That's how we relate. This is the complete way that you walk with the Lord. We walk by faith. People say, I have faith in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? In the context of what we're seeing here, it is the full assurance of those things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen that are in the word of God. And now we see how one comes to faith and how one begins in that and then how we continue in that. Two examples, which I said are unique for Hebrews chapter 11, because both of them speak of having gained approval, those two terms, and the rest don't say that. These are two examples, I believe, which summarize this whole process of having gained approval. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony. There you go. That's that word. Same thing. He was, he was testified of. He gained approval. Same word. That he was righteous. God bearing witness, testifying, same word, about his gifts and through faith. Though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness or testimony. Same word, that before being his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. These are great, wonderful examples. So I believe we have two examples that encapsulate the believer's relationship uh, by faith to God. And here again, we see that they bear, God bears witness. He testifies of both of these men here. Now, the first example, I believe, shows that man comes to God by faith, that we enter into our relationship with the living God by faith. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts through as, and through faith, Though he is dead, he still speaks. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the record of the first two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And it is an account in which we see both of them brought offerings to the Lord. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Now, we won't get into the details in this portion, but it's a very interesting portion. And if you were with us when we went through Genesis uh, the, the, the Hebrew language alludes to the fact that, that Eve thinks this first child, Cain, might be the seed that's going to bring uh, redemption, but she soon learns it's not and names her next kid Vanity, in a sense, uh, realizes that it's not, not that yet. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. That's the portion I was talking about in the Hebrew. It's quite intense. You can look at it in the messages I preached on that. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought, Abel on his part brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Genesis reveals that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain. And so if we had Genesis alone, we might speculate that it was simply what was offered that was the reason why that God had regard for Abel's and not for Cain's. But that's not the full story. We have more information as we see here in our passage. We have more information. And the information that we have is that Abel's offering was offered by what? By faith. By faith. Now that faith is in the exact context of the definition that the author has just given. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen, in the context of the word of God. You say, wait a second, Abel had the word of God? Well, certainly they did. God spoke to them personally. God spoke to Cain, remember that? He said, hey, if you do good, you know, sin is crouching at the door. They had the word of God. They had the opportunity to believe the unseen realities in the context revealed by God through his word. And so then, Abel in this context was fully assured and convinced of the unseen reality of how to approach God through this offering. And it was declared thus that he was righteous because he believed the truth of what God had said and he acted upon it. He attained a testimony that he was righteous. And how are we righteous? We're righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And before Christ died, it was through faith in Christ based on the truth of what would come, the Christ who would come, the seed of, uh, of Eve who would crush Satan's head. We see that. The same faith that uh, Abraham would have where he believed and it was reckoned to him 
as righteousness. And so here, Abel believed the word of God concerning the sacrifice, and it was uh, testified to him that he was righteous through his gifts. Now, we know here that our initial approach to God must be in faith, and it must be based on his finished work alone. Look back in Hebrews chapter 10. Look back in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 verse 8. And after saying, sacrifices and offerings and whole offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast not desired. The reality is all the Old Testament stuff isn't what God wanted. It was a shadow of what his son would do. And that was the important part. It pointed to what Christ would do for us. And so he says here, uh, thou hast not taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, this is an amazing passage. It's a conversation between the Son and the Father before the Incarnation. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. That's the first covenant to the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward where his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So then we have God's testimony of Abel, that he offered his offering by faith, and he was thus testified as righteous. You see, that is how we come to Jesus Christ. We come to God by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are thus declared righteous. We are given the righteousness of Christ. We enter into our relationship with the living God by faith. And it's the same definition of faith we see here, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. We are hoping for eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, and we are fully assured of it, so we believe in him. We're fully convicted that of the things we don't see, the cross, the resurrection, our Savior, and we believe that, and we are saved. And we are saved. And so we see an example of that. And so by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony By God here, as we're seeing right here, that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts. That was the gift that he offered by faith, which is an example that he was trusting God and that though he is dead, he still speaks. He still speaks through the word of God now, though he is dead, though his brother Cain slew him. He still speaks. He still speaks. And we see even in 1 John that Cain, who was of the evil one, killed him. Why? Because... His deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. 1 John chapter 3. Abel was righteous by faith and his actions thus were righteous by faith. This is how we come to the living God. And I want to ask you, have you approached the living God by faith alone? Some people are scared into salvation and they just cry out and believe whatever it is. Or have you truly believed the truth concerning what God says about your damnation to hell because of your sin and the salvation that comes through his son, Jesus Christ? Have you fully convinced that that is true? Have you believed in that which is hope for eternal life? Have you believed the unseen realities of the cross and of Christ? That is how we come to the Lord by faith. Well, not only do we come to him by faith, we walk by faith too. The faith isn't, doesn't change. The same faith you had in Christ to be saved is the same faith that you need to walk day by day with our Savior. Look at verse uh, 5, wonderful verse. By faith, back in Hebrews 11, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. This is an amazing, true story. And he was found, not found, because God took him up. Obviously, people are looking for him. Where is Enoch? We can't find him. Where is he? Well, he wasn't found because God took him. That's what the scripture says. For he had what? Obtained the testimony or the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Here we have God's testimony again on how one is pleasing, on how one is pleasing. It is by faith that we are pleasing 
You see, Hebrews 11 says that Enoch walked with God. He walked here in the context of faith. You cannot walk with God apart from trusting him in the same context of faith that we have seen before, believing, uh, being fully assured of the things hoped for, revealed in his word, and, and being fully convicted of those unseen realities uh, that are revealed in the word of God. And Enoch was that, and he walked with him. You know, Enoch had his son, I think it's Methuselah, I think he had, and the son uh, at 65 years old. And it says he walked with God for 300 years. Let's take a look uh, at uh, Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Now, interesting, kind of note as I was studying for this, Methuselah died the year of the flood. Very interesting. So he was around, basically, when Noah was preaching. And we have Enoch basically was around for a little while. Uh, during some of that time, we'll see. And we'll see in, in, in the book of Jude that Enoch was the prophet, that he shared about God's coming judgment. No doubt about that. And so Genesis chapter 5. And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God. There we go. That's when his walk started, when he became the father of Methuselah. That 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Tremendous, tremendous. The reality is he walked with God, and as we see in our passage, he walked with God by faith. He walked with God by faith. We see here that Enoch, by faith, Enoch was taken up. He walked with God. He believed in what was hoped. He was assured of what was hoped for from the word of God, and he believed in the unseen realities, and that was his walk with God. And if you're walking with God, that's what it looks like for you too. You are fully assured of what you hope for in Christ, and you are believing in that which is not seen, which is revealed in the word of God. That is the walk of faith. That's how we walk by faith with Jesus. And Enoch was taken. You know, some say it's a picture of the church being taken. I, I hope so. I don't see the church fully walking with God very much right now, but uh, the reality is God is going to come for his bride. He's going to take her. We know that, and we pray for that. Come, Lord Jesus. But here, Enoch, being a person, walked with God 300 years, and he obtained a testimony that he was what? Pleasing. That he was pleasing. You see, what we're going to see is it's impossible to please God apart from faith. If you are not assured of what is hoped for, if you are not fully convinced of what is unseen, those truths in the word of God concerning Christ, concerning what he's promised, then you're not pleasing to God. And there's all the application. There's so much of God's word, right? It just there's so much. And so notice how man relates to God. We have a summary in our passage. Verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Now, we're totally out of time, so I'm going to have to rush through this portion. So I'm not going to hit it as deeply as I'd like to, but let's just finish up here in this wonderful statement here. Biblical faith, it's impossible to please God apart from biblical faith. It's impossible to please him apart from being fully assured of what's hoped for concerning Christ and his word. It's impossible to please him apart from being fully convicted, confident of the unseen realities that God has revealed in his word concerning Christ. Apart from genuine faith, it is impossible to please God. You might remember what God said in Matthew, Matthew 3, 7, at the baptism of Jesus. Behold, a voice came out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son whom I am well pleased. You see, when we trust in Jesus, God is well pleased because he's well pleased in Jesus. When we abide in Christ and we, by faith, trust in him, God is well pleased. It is impossible to please God apart from faith and the faith that we have seen here God describing in Scripture. Faith that is assured, faith that is convinced of the unseen realities that are revealed in the word of God. So it's impossible to please him. You want to please God? If you're not trusting him, forget it. If you're coming here and you're serving him and you're not trusting him for the entire time, and all the parts we, we fail, if you're not trusting him, you're not pleasing God when you're not trusting him. It's impossible for me to please God in preaching unless I am trusting him completely. It's impossible to please him in your marriage unless you are trusting him completely. It's impossible to please him at work unless you are trusting him completely. It's impossible to please him in your relationships unless you're trusting him completely. And then he goes to give an explanation of that. He says, For he who comes to God 
must believe that he is. You've got to believe he is. He's the I am. He's the great I am. He's God. You've got to believe he is. First thing, you've got to believe he is. That he is. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We have the great I am, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You must believe that he is continually, habitually is. And then notice he says, and that he is the one who rewards those who draw near. God is a holy, righteous, good God who rewards those. There's an amazing statement here in the context of faith, who rewards those who draw near. You see, if you walk by faith, there is a reward. You see, if you trust him, there is reward. God has promised that throughout Scripture. You know, and I often marvel at how parents can discipline kids but never have rewards for their kids. Be like God. God rewards for when you do what's right, and he disciplines for when you don't. Just a little side note there, by the way. But here, you must believe that he rewards. You see, Moses endured suffering rather than the passing pleasures of sin because he was looking for the reward. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. Let me read that. Hebrews 11, 24. He says here, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, concerning the approach of Christ, greater riches, and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. You know, if this life is all it is for you, you're in trouble. God has promised us uh, the eternal realities of our eternal life with Christ and rewards for our trusting in him and abiding in him for the deeds that are done in the body. I've got tons of passages to share, but I, I don't have time to share them. But uh, there's all so much in Scripture about rewards. Um, uh, I could share so many passages. Uh, speaking of the, the word, moreover, by them the servant is warned, Psalm 119, and keeping them there is great reward. Keep God's word is great reward. Proverbs 13, 13, the one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Proverbs 8, 11, 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows for righteousness gains a true reward. Throughout scripture, we see that when Christ comes, his reward is with him. We know from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, that we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. And that we will be recompensed for our deeds in the body, whether good or bad. We know that when we suffer, are falsely accused, Matthew 5.11, 5.12, Rejoice and be glad, your reward in heaven is great. We know that God is gracious. He is not unjust, Hebrews 6.11, as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name, having ministered and still ministering to saints. The reality is God is the rewarder of those who seek him. And so it is impossible to please him except by faith. So many other passages about rewards, but we're out of time here. But the, the important part is here is do you seek the Lord? Do you desire to walk with him? The reality is it's impossible to please him apart from believing, being fully assured in the things hoped for being fully convinced in the th convinced of things unseen that are revealed in the word of God. So then, how can we endure the trials of life? We need endurance. The good fight of faith is a grueling race. It's difficult to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And the only way to stay focused on him and the only way to trust him is to be in the word of God and to believe the God of the word and what he has said. To walk by faith. Now, some of you today have never come to Christ. Your salvation is a sham. Your faith wasn't the full assurance of hope because you had a hope that was fixed on yourself rather than Jesus. Turn to Jesus today. Believe in what he said. Believe that you're a sinner and you're in need of salvation. Believe that if you turn to him, if you call upon his name, he will save you. Trust in Jesus Christ with no strings attached. Believe what he said. Believe in those unseen realities. And then for those of us who are who've been saved, we need to uh, have our faith grow in a sense. We need to, to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes focused on the word of God that we would walk by faith and please him like we see in the life of Enoch. So then, how do we endure the trials of life? We endure by trusting in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you so much for this truth about faith, and I pray that we would uh, weed out the things in our lives that are really not in line with this, and that we would be in the Word of God, that we would be hoping with full assurance for what you promised in Christ, and that we'd be fully convicted of those things we can't see right now, that we would be believing in what you've said and what you've done, and Father, that we would be those who walk by faith. As we have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. I pray we do so. May we be those who please you, Lord God. May we be like Enoch, who walked with you and you took him. Lord, may we be pleasing in your sight. We know that only happens by faith in your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.